Hi, and welcome to She Geeks Out, a podcast where we geek out about all the things. I'm Rachel. And I'm Felicia. to the cloud and I apologize in advance if my cats are like they're like I don't know what they're on they got like <laughs> extra catnip or something I don't know what's going on um but welcome Lauren hello Felicia this is Rachel hello happy happy uh blurs day as always <laughs> yeah thanks well, for having me I'm happy to be here on another blur day <laughs> yes indeed what is time anymore so <laughs> exactly we are so excited to have you Lauren Lauren is the uh the founder the CEO yeah. of Career Contessa yes and the CEO uh, of Career Contessa and we are so thrilled beyond words to have you on here um, we are such fans of you so <laughs> likewise <laughs> I was going to say, I think this is the first time we're doing it where you're coming on our podcast. Yeah. We've been on your podcast a couple of times, but yep. we've never returned the favor. So here we go. Yay. <laughs> yeah. We're calling this, we're, and we're calling this like the back to school, back to work edition. It, edition. I, saw, I, I just got an email the other day that was like, September is the new January. And I also feel like that's all, I guess that's kind of always been a thing because of back to school, but also I just think everyone is so desperate for like, I need a new fresh start, a new season. I need something. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm thrilled that we're doing this because yeah. September can be the new January. We, we can get a January twice. I'm fine with that this year. I'm I mean, in 2020. Anything is possible. So January <laughs> twice, let's do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, um, so let's, yeah. yeah, let's get started. Um, let's start with, I, we just want to hear before we get in, cause we're going to do some AMAs for like the job search stuff, but we want to know about you. Can you talk a little bit about your journey? How did you become the career Contessa? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep it short just because I've been running career Contessa since 2013, but it started as, um, a prototype or out of my master's thesis project. So I've, I've been thinking and talking about career Contessa basically since 2010. So I'll try to condense the last 10 years for you guys. Um, so I graduated college during a recession, 2009, not a good time to be graduating. So I, I, I feel for all the grads right now, um, kind of did the thing where I moved home, didn't know what I wanted to do even though I had quote unquote checked all the right boxes. Eventually I moved to, from Portland, Oregon to Los Angeles, got a job as a, an admin assistant working inside of a, um, a dental school for a major university. And super thankful I had the job, but also really, I think that was where the, the soul searching slash internal battle happened between this is what I expected and this was my reality and coming to grips with that and, um, you know, uh, Christine Hassler has this great term called expectation hangover. That's exactly mm. what I was experiencing for years. Um, and just, I think being in a dead end job, uh, always makes you start to question, like, what are you doing? How are you going to get out? And I kind of became almost obsessive about it. And, um, long story short, the obsession was very much around like, what is it that I want to do? I had gone to school to become a teacher. I had decided I didn't want to do that, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, and I got this random assignment to do some recruiting for the university. Someone was out sick. And so they kind of sh sent me off and recruiting was like, I, and the irony of this is that I had gone to all these career fairs where you're always talking to recruiters and didn't connect the dots that recruiting would be a great career for me. Mm. Um, 
over about a nine month period, I had over or I reached out to for 70 plus informational interviews, about 30 recruiters got back to me to talk to me about what it was like to be a recruiter, the different types of recruiting, um, just all the ins and outs. It was almost like a self-education about recruiting. And I leveraged those into becoming a recruiter at Hulu. And that was really a fork in the road. I'm sure we all have these like moments where we look back and we're like, wow, <laughs> had it gone differently, um, who knows where my career would be. And working at Hulu was really where I kind of caught the, the startup bug and being in those environments, as you guys know, as startups, it's like urgency and quick and you're around smart people. And it, it's, it was just a really good fit for me. Recruiting was a really good fit for me. And I was now on the other side of the hiring table, which was really fascinating, having been this very lost job searcher. Um, and I was learning a lot about that, but also I was writing, getting ready to write my master's thesis on millennial women and career resources, because I knew that there, I wasn't the only one who had kind of felt very lost and really confused, but also when I was working, there wasn't a resource that I could go to for questions or like, how do you ask your boss for a raise? Like the first time I asked for a raise, I started crying, you know? And so like, um, just like, where do you go for the guidance and, and career centers, which you get access to in school are fine, but you don't, it's like, you almost don't need that help yet. You really need a career center when you're an adult or when you're working. So, um, Long story short, Career Contessa was started as a pure side hustle, um, first for my master's thesis, then I kept it around because I thought maybe I would leverage it into some other, uh, you know, tech job opportunity. Um, but then in late 2014, after lots and lots of thought and saving as much money as I could, I left my job at Hulu to work on Career Contessa full time. And that's been a journey. Um, I'm, I know you guys know this too with startups, like started out as going to be some sort of tech related company then turned into this and now we're borderline of media company slash online education company so it's it's been a long journey but here i am <laughs> wow i love it i also love i don't know i feel like we talked to so many women where that time period around 2013 <laughs> i don't know what was in the air but yeah that was such a pivotal time for so many of us. Like that's when Rachel and I met, like there's just a lot of stuff that happened in that time period. So, um, yeah. I'm sure but, it has something to do with the Mayan calendar or something. <laughs> yeah. The, the Honestly, moon. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't 2012 when the world ended? Did yes, you? exactly. Yeah. Like, that's what I was thinking. Forging our new pathways in this crazy world that we're in. Exactly. Um, well, you just mentioned a couple of the shifts that have happened since you originally launched, but um, can you talk a little bit more about how the focus has shifted during this hellscape that is 2020? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I first started Career Contessa, I will say also, in hindsight, I should have never left my job because I had no idea how I was going to make money or what I was doing, but that is sort of the the pros and cons of entrepreneurship. Some people are much, I, I wasn't nearly as organized and part of that is I didn't raise money. So I didn't have, I didn't, wasn't being like required to think some of this through. But, um, so when I first launched Career Contessa, it was just an interview series. So I would basically, um, I, obviously I believe in the power of informational interviews. And so I was interviewing women on what is your career and how did you get there? And what I wanted to do was shed light on the variety of career opportunities because, for example, I never knew that recruiting was a job. And once I did, it really kind of helped me kind of figure out what I wanted to do. So we started as that. And then over time, 
what I wanted to become is um, basically a job search site where you could easily apply for jobs and you could save them. And, and But that wasn't what the community kept coming to us for. They kept coming to us for really all the stages of their career. So while job search was important, it wasn't the only reason why people were sticking around. And so my focus started to shift to become more of a kind of like a media platform, which is what we are now. We're uh, a hybrid between media and online learning just because everything we're doing is basically a learning tool, but we do have online courses. And so over time, we've expanded the resources on Career Contessa based on what the audience needed or also the state to, to kind of meet them at the stages of their career. So the stages, for example, at Career Contessa, we've kind of looked at it and like, okay, there's five main uh pain points. Obviously, there's a lot more, but you have to be able to put these into broad categories. So there's career fit, the person who's trying to figure out what it is that I want to do. Um, job search, that one's obvious. Um, and then there's career growth. So that's everything from leadership to I, I, I got the job, I've gone through this transaction, how do I um, manage up? How do I manage the dynamics with a team? Uh, money, because careers and money really do go hand in hand. Um, obviously a lot of salary stuff. We even have our own anonymous salary database called the salary project, which that came about just as like a random idea I had as a, that turned into a Google doc that now is a whole database. So a lot of this stuff was like, you know, started as like just this random one-off thing and then grew into something else. Um, and then the last category is work-life balance. I know we all hate that word, but it's meant to encompass all the other parts uh, like time off, productivity, um, routines, rituals, things like that. Um, and then we also started offering, you know, the other services, career coaching, online career courses, our podcast. I recently wrote a book, all the things because we don't want to just be a job site. We want to be a career site. And in order to do that, you have to be a very comprehensive resource. And, and when people say, oh, I'd love to create exactly what you're doing, it's like, great. But I, just so you know, this has taken me 10 years to create. And I think that's something people need to keep in mind with these comprehensive resources is that they're not, you're not going to be able to create all this stuff in, in, in one night. And that's a good thing because you want to know what the audience's pain points are um, so that you're developing products or services to meet them there. Yeah. Wow. And I, I definitely want to talk about the book, but I'm curious too about the career coaching mm -hmm. um, and how that, cause you're working with, it's, it looks like there's a variety of coaches that people can reach out to. I would love to hear that, how you develop that and how that's going. Yeah, so that was actually the very first service that we started paid service. So one of the other things I really wanted to do is I wanted to make sure that most of the things on Career Contessa were free. Mm -hmm. I didn't want the access to career advice and figuring out your next move to only be for some people. Um, and so the actually when we did add paid services, career coaching was one of the first ones. Uh, and the reason why is because careers are so personal. And so while we are giving advice on a variety of topics, at the end of the day, there was always a person who was like, so I read this article, but my boss did this thing. And now I'm wondering about this coworker. And then it's like, okay, that's hyper specific and very unique to you. And there was, how could we scale that? How could we offer that advice without me just answering emails all day long? Um, and if you Google career coach, there's like 30 million results that pop up. And so I think there's a couple of things about career coaching. One, I believe that it truly does work. Two, I think it's overwhelming to find a career coach. And three, most people think that career coaches are only for executives or bosses or leaders or whatnot. So this was another thing where I wanted to make it very like 
there's no long-term commitment. So the way our career coaching platform works is we pre that all of the, we call them mentors or coaches, how we use those terms interchangeably. Um, but uh, we pre-vet all of them. So there's about 50 on there. And the reason why I do that is because I don't want a ton of coaches who overlap in the same skill set. Um, I'm not trying to give you so many choices that it overwhelms you. I'm trying to say, here are the best people who specialize in these industries, or maybe they're a full-time coach. We also have recruiters on there, which is always really interesting. Um, you don't have to buy a coaching package. There's no long-term commitment. You can pay and use uh, or work with a mentor one-on-one -on -one when you need it. So that was another thing that didn't really exist. Most of them were thousands of dollar packages. Um, and that was really important to me because if you need one-on-one -on -one advice, you want to know where can I go to get it quickly and a trusted resource. And so that's ultimately what the coaches have grown into is this very, trusted resource where you don't have to go through Google results for hours and hours. And then the other thing about career coaching is that not only should it be something that you're using throughout your career, but also it, you know, there isn't, there are credentials, but there aren't credentials, if that makes sense. Uh, and so knowing if the person can actually give you the advice is sometimes scary. And when you're forking over 200 bucks a session, I think what's nice is that Career Condessa has built a relationship with our readers that they know if we're recommending something or someone it's because they're good and you can trust it. So that wow. I, I love the career coaching. I truly believe in the power of like, sometimes you just need to talk one-on-one -on -one with someone who's not your mom or your best friend and mm -hmm. get the advice from them. You know, God, I had no idea that you actually like vetted all of the, the coaches on there. That is huge. And awesome. I personally pre-vet them. I personally wow. onboard them and I personally manage the whole thing. Because wow. It's my baby. I love, I love it. <laughs> That's amazing. That Lauren. is a lot of work. I mean, and totally feel the, you know, it's your baby angle yeah. for sure. Obviously. Um, how big is the team right now? So there's three of us full time and then there's three people who help uh, on ongoing basis on like a very part-time basis, but they're like one person's worked with us. She's our jobs manager, for example, since 2017, she'll spend awesome. a couple hours a week helping us manage stuff. So I, it's, it's been <laughs> building a team is trial and error. <laughs> oh, we know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is trial and error. I have found for me and my management style, less is more in a way. Um, but I mean, to each their own, you know, some yeah. people, and I, I like being in the weeds of things. Some CEOs or leaders really only want to do strategy, you know, high level strategy. Mm -hmm. I would say that that's not my strength as much a uh, high level strategy, but you know, execution and like day to day and getting, you know, the processes of stuff. I'm really good at that. So I'm probably also more prone to having a smaller team because I like doing a lot of that stuff. Lauren, you're our people. I for feel sure. like you're, you're literally speaking our language. Um, I had one more question too, and then I also want to hear about the book more too. But um, you mentioned your community, and especially you know starting it up, and then building and growing, and how you've been adding all these resources. So how did the community come about, especially in the beginning? Was it kind of word of mouth, or like where did that base come from? Yeah. So in the very beginning, uh, it was definitely word of mouth, but also when I first started, I was a recruiter still at Hulu. And, um, so I would pitch like, 
uh, Pop Sugar, Refinery29, any outlet I could find to, podcasts weren't as big back then, so you weren't, like, the press you would be pitching was more, like, for articles, so I would constantly pitch, um, and I would just find the authors of articles that were related to work, and then I would send them emails saying, you know, hi, I'm the founder of Career Contessa, I'd love to, can I write about this? So I did a lot of like guest blogging. Um, eventually, sometimes people would profile me and Career Contessa. I remember the first time we had something go live on Refinery29, we got 500 email signups in a day, you know, stuff like that, that yes. over time. And then you just keep pitching yourself for in-person things, other stuff. Um, and sometimes people will come to you, you know, after a while, they'll come to you. But it was, there was no magic bullet. It was all just like one foot in front of the other day by day um one thing i definitely regret because it's hard to build a community if you don't have an email list so like i was pretty slow i was probably like two years in before i actually started doing something with that email list and, and really focusing on it so today we're much more like well-oiled machine of like if you visit career contessa we're going to try to hold on to you so that you'll revisit multiple times, which is truly what builds the community's repeat visits and uh, that repeat relationship. But it, it took me, it took me a while to understand like, Oh, how do you do that? Like, I want people to do that, but how do you do that? And especially now, as you guys know, there's so much noise on the internet. So um, yeah, I mean, it was pitchy and then also just being consistent. So social media, putting it out every day, finding a schedule in the beginning. I only published every Tuesday and Thursday, but you know, it's okay. Even if you publish once a week, it would be fine. Or you did something once a week. That's fine. Just being consistent. So people know what to expect, I think is important. Absolutely. Awesome. And I was just remembering, um, I did a webinar for you a couple months ago and I was truly impressed by how many people were on the webinar, first of all, and oh then gosh, they were yeah. from all over the world. And I was just yeah. like, whoa, amazing. <laughs> and so I will say, you know, you mentioned it's a well-oiled machine now and absolutely. So really kudos to you for, yeah. you know, getting it all together because, um, very impressive from our perspective. Well, totally that is nice of you to say because my very first, so my very first webinar, it was a Google Hangout and it like broke in the middle. And <laughs> just so you guys know, there is no like, just join the Google Hangout again, or at least back then it was like, if the link was dead, the link was dead. Oh no. So it's funny you say that because it's taken us, it's been a lot of trial and error. And then the very first time we did an in-person event, the bathrooms broke. There were no bathrooms. So, you know, you have to like take this all in stride and know that it's better to get started, even if it's messy, because you will eventually smooth out those sure. bumps in the road. But, um, so yeah, you're, you also joined the webinar at a good time. Uh, three years ago was a lot messier. Oh, that's a great advice. We haven't even gotten to the advice part and that's always perfect. And one more question before we get to the advice can, and it will lead right into it. I'm sure is your book power yes. moves. Tell us what is this? Yeah, so Power Moves teaches women how they can pivot, reboot, and build their own career of purpose. And selfishly, you know, I've been getting the best career advice straight from women who have been there and successfully done that for seven plus years, uh, not to mention my own career journey. And the book is really the culmination of the best pieces of advice. But I wanted to create almost like a formula or a system that people could use. So power moves is obviously my terminology because at the end of the day, what I realized that 
the most successful people have in common is they take action. They make these power moves. So a power moves is an intentional action. You are being proactive versus reactive. And I think that's really, really important. And kind of what I was just saying is like consistency and the small things you do every day, they add up, they really do add up. And so, um, Power Moves really teaches women how to approach their careers by integrating power moves, whether they're daily power moves, medium power moves, or big power moves into their lives to, to build a career on their terms, which is there are plenty of people who have successful careers that they hate and they're well paid for them. The people who have careers that are built on their terms that are successful by their own definitions that they you know love, I'm not saying that every day uh, is easy, those people are making power moves. And so I really felt like I was selfishly keeping the secret to myself if I didn't share it. And a book seemed like the best way to share that. So the book is then divided up. So there you'll learn the power moves approach. And then what I did is I divided into um, these four components. So it's uh, relationship, or sorry, self-care, relationships, career, money. And it's done in that order very specifically um, because each of those builds on each other. That is so awesome. Thank you for sharing. I yeah. can't wait to check it out. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I'm ready to buy it. So that's awesome. <laughs> well, would you like to do the first question or shall I? I'm happy yeah, either I way. I can kick us off. Um, so I, um, I'm going to start out with some of our ask me anything questions. Okay. And, it's, and it is worth noting that we had asked our community ahead of time. So yes. that's where we're pulling these questions. <laughs> these aren't from. just coming out of thin air. <laughs> yes. So the first question is, I feel overwhelmed by the different options of going back to school to get my master's in computer science, getting a certificate, going to a boot camp, or just trying to transition internally onto a software engineering team at work. Of course, time and money are things I'm heavily considering and the opportunity cost of having to cut down time at my current job to pursue a program. Do you, Lauren, have any advice on what the best path is? So whenever I feel overwhelmed, the best resource I have found is having informational interviews with people who have done all of those options, basically collecting as much information as you can, because the, the best decisions are informed ones, right? And so um, I would talk to find people who have gone through each of those options, learn the pros and cons, why it worked for them, why it didn't work for them, what they would have done differently. Um, and then what I would do is wait, like look at all that information, see if one really stands out more to you as being a better fit and why. And also I might have a conversation with your manager and your team about it. Um, I think it's never a bad idea. If, if the company, obviously it sounds to me like she's interested in having a future at this company. So if that's the case, it's never a bad idea to also have them be, you know, involved in the decision or not necessarily involved, but like at least, talk to them about what you're thinking because they might have some advice too. Um, and I would also maybe have some informational interviews with people on the engineering teams at your company. So before I would apply for a program or spend a dime, I would do all this research ahead of time. I think also it's going to help you feel less overwhelmed because you will be taking action. One of the reasons why I think people feel anxious is if they're kind of like sitting still with all this ideas bouncing around in their heads. And this will allow you to kind of get that nervous energy out as well. I love that. I especially love talking to the people currently on the team and just being like, how did they get there? Yeah. Because that can be so helpful. So thank yeah. you for kicking us off with that. 
I love that advice too. And just the action focus is like, you're so right. That's so key. It's so easy to get. What is it? What do they call it? Analysis paralysis? Yes, totally. So, so real. Uh, next question. Uh, how do I search for a new job while furloughed and pregnant? Uh, well, first take care of yourself. You are pregnant. That is already a full-time job. You are growing a human. <laughs> uh, it's really amazing to me what the human body can yeah. do. So I would say first make sure your own needs are being met. You, you know, there's this thing called Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and it's um, all about making sure that your needs are met first, because you're not going to be able to make very good decisions if you're not able to take care of yourself. So prioritize that. Um, and then once you do prioritize that, then the next question, whether you're pregnant or not, all this is sort of, I guess, irrelevant from the standpoint of I'm going to give the same advice of you got to figure out what is it that you want to do next? Are you thinking about going into the same type of career you were in before? Are you thinking about making a shift? Um, one of the other things that you could think about too, if that question seems a little overwhelming is maybe think about your target. I call them your target companies. And I talk a lot about this in the book, but how can you find companies that align with your, what I call your career ideals? These are your wants and your needs. So when you have you know you're about to be a parent, it's probably important to you to work for a company that has other working parents and maybe has some programs or benefits in place, like healthcare is probably a benefit that is really important to you. Um, whereas if you were 22 going to work at a startup that doesn't even have a maternity leave and everybody's expected to work 100 hour weeks, okay, 22 year olds can maybe do that and that's like alluring for its own reasons, right? And so I would say um, first take care of yourself. Um, also figure out what your runway is, your financial runway. Do you need to get a job tomorrow or can you find a job in six months? Because also if you need a job tomorrow, go where the companies are hiring today. Don't worry about it being your dream job um, or not. You can always focus on that later. Um, and then just going back to that last piece, it's also important to understand your career ideals, which are your wants and needs. What do you need in your next job? And if you don't know the job title, then go for the company and figure out the, the five to six companies that offer what you need um, to make work and life work for you um, and, and target jobs only at those companies. And um, I also was thinking how it's so interesting too, given where we, a lot of us are at this point with the new virtual sort of work environment, how it probably is a lot easier to hide pregnancy than yeah. before. And I'm just like, I mean, I don't think that's a good or bad thing, but it just really struck me where mm -hmm. as before, like walking into an interview in person, yeah, totally. seven months oh. pregnant, like it's really obvious for a lot of people that you're pregnant versus oh. like if it's chest up or neck up. Yeah. Know, they would have no idea. So interesting. Someone did ask us this the other day in a DM. She was, she said, I'm pregnant, but I've been interviewing virtually. So they don't know. Do I tell them after yeah. I sign the job offer or do I do it beforehand? And look, my answer was like, this is very much your, you can do it either way. I, my gut reaction to that question was for uh, thinking about the employer is, I would want to start the relationship off on a, with trust and that goes both ways. And so if for me, I would want to share with them, Hey, uh, maybe once you get to that place where they're drafting up an offer, Hey, I wanted to let you know, I'm seven months pregnant. So, um, you know, I'll be going on maternity leave at this time. Legally, they can't take the offer away from you, but I would, so this is a tough one because yeah. legally they can't do that. But also 
I would want to let them know because I would want to have this relationship of trust again, going both ways from the get go. Um, but I understand the hesitation, especially right now during coronavirus, where you feel like you are just so lucky to get the job offer that you don't want to say anything to jeopardize it. Um, so I'm just, I'm very torn on that. And yeah, it's a hard one. I mean, I, I like is. your approach of sort of waiting till it's like they want you and they're like drafting it up because I also think that that's the point where you would want to be asking about what their yes. benefits are, right? Like yeah, and you probably aren't going to know what their maternity leave policies or, or parental policies are even before that point anyway. So you'd want to know, is this actually a company that would work for you if, you know, when you come to that time? Yeah. And I just feel like at that point you have the leverage as, as a recruiter, I can tell you, they want you, they don't want to have to right. start their search over. Totally. Everyone's already agreed yeah. that you're the one. Um, and so for me, I find like, that's a nice compromise <laughs> between the like, don't tell them at all. And being honest. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Ooh, messy. Know, it's a, it's a that's a tough sure. one. Yeah, for yeah, sure. My goodness. Ooh, thank you for sharing the extra, you gave us extra answer on that one. <laughs> thank you. Um, all right. So next question is, is applying to jobs online worth it when people are saying that most new hires are based on referrals, especially for people just starting out? You're correct. Most jobs are hired via referral. Although um, it's, here's what I tell everybody, apply online because a lot of times they say you have to apply online. Also, when I was a recruiter, we needed you to apply online because a lot of companies are using job applicant tracking systems. And so it's like, we need you to fill all that out so you're in the system so we can move you along. And if you ever got an offer, that's how we would do it too. So I would always apply online, but I would never just apply online. I would apply online and then I would find a real person to send your resume to, whether that's looking up what is the recruiter's name, who is the hiring manager, and drafting a individual email of, you know, of interest and attaching your resume. Um, that's kind of my tried and true of like, you haven't finished applying unless you've also sent it to a non-general email address. And so I guess follow-up question on that one, and I'm, I'm asking this follow-up question as uh, Rachel and I have just gone through the hiring process. So it's very fresh in our minds. As a recruiter, when you are doing full-time recruiting, if you got those unsolicited emails from candidates where they had already applied online, but they were reaching out to you, like, was that something where you were like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to take another look at their, their profile. Or you're like, oh, let me put this into the folder of emails that like, I don't really look at. Or like, what was your sort of reaction if you, if you were getting those emails? So I didn't mind it. Most of the recruiters I know don't mind it, but we're human, right? If you get us on a bad day, if you get us on a busy day, if you send us a job that we're not hiring for, you know, like it, it is possible that you can do that. It goes nowhere. That's also why I like it when people, I like to tell people follow up, you know, if you haven't heard anything from them a week and a half later, follow up. Um, because maybe it was just like, Hey, they came back from vacation. They had tons of emails and you know what that role, they're not the role they're recruiting for that one's not a priority right now. So they just sort of like deleted it or they put it in a folder that they never actually go back to. Um, I'll tell you the way I got my job at Hulu is I reached out to my um, 
so they, their company was in LA. I was working for a university that was based in LA and I said, I went to the career center and I was like, I work here. I'm also technically a student because I was a master's student. Do you guys have anybody in the Rolodex that works at this company? And they gave me the name of somebody. Um, and I sent my resume and, uh, you know, an email of interest to her in hindsight, I never should have sent it to her. She was the director of communications and I was applying for a, a uh, recruiting role even though, so I've learned a lot since then but she never looked at it but she forwarded it off to a recruiter um, who did look at it and then gave me the call so my, I'm biased in this in the sense of like I feel like why would you not take the the shot at sending it to somebody because the worst thing is that they don't look at it at all that but I personally true. wasn't annoyed with that. Like sometimes okay. I would like it because going through online resumes uh, is really boring and it's, yeah. it's, it's not easy to look at everything and one, and like, you're not going to print them all out. And also some jobs get like thousands of, especially right now, thousands yeah. of resumes within minutes. And so yeah. you can, you can filter them a little bit, but it's why a lot of recruiters will sometimes just source on LinkedIn, look at referrals or wait for someone to be clever yeah. enough to send a resume to their inbox. Yeah. So real. Oh, good. That's great. That's really helpful. I, I personally, as the person who was doing the initial screening for me, what's so important is a, is a cover letter. I feel like cause yeah. to a point it's so boring. And so when people actually write something that's interesting and relevant and clearly they've done a little bit of work, it makes it feel like, oh, they're not just clicking a button to apply. Yeah. And that's the funny thing about cover letters in general is everyone has an opinion about them. Some people are like, I never read them. Some people love them. I had a recruiting manager who would not look at your resume unless you sent in a cover letter. So what I tell people is like, these are humans. They yeah. all get to have their preferences. Why would you not go above and beyond and check every box because you don't know if they're, and yes, for sure, with a cover letter, for God's sakes, please make it interesting. <laughs> no one yeah. wants to read something boring. <laughs> and please put in the right company. I know. Yes. You copy paste, be very careful. Just like a general, like <laughs> read over your materials and your yeah. email. Like one time someone sent me an email and it said, yo. And I was like, what? <laughs> you, you did not mean to say that. You oh, didn't. No. I know you did it. Oh, it's so funny. Oh yeah. Humans. You're right. Yeah. Um, okay. Next question. How do you explain getting fired when applying for jobs? Yeah. So I think this is a really, the, again, I kind of default to honesty. So if you were fired from your last job, um, and you know, I'm kind of a fan of like saying fired without actually using the word fired. So if, a lot of times they might say, Oh, I, I, they're looking at your resume. Most likely the question is going to be phrased as like, oh, I saw that you left your last job in January and it's June that we're interviewing you. Like, why did you leave your last job? And you can say, you know, I was um, let go from my last job due to X, Y, Z, but try to make the storyline make sense of why that wasn't a good fit. Like in high, you know, and in hindsight, um, that role for me just probably wasn't the world's best fit. That's why I've made sure that when I applied for this one here, here's what I know is a good fit. So like, what is the lesson that you've learned from that? How is it that this job is the right one? And so what I would be definitely be prepared to get the question. And I would just say, make sure the storyline makes sense. Like, um, being laid off or fired, fired is usually for a performance thing. So you might be able to even describe them. And what I like is it's better to have the storyline 
worked out ahead of time because otherwise they get to make assumptions. And if they hear fired, a lot of people think of performance and that makes them nervous. So maybe you can say something like, well, the performance of the whole team or, you know, my performance on this project wasn't where it needed to be um, and they were making cuts and, or what, I don't know. The, the point being is like, cause again, this is why working with a career coach can be really helpful because you guys can come up with your storyline together. But I, I do think that honesty is important, with, but once you're honest, then connect the dots for them so that it becomes a non-issue. Love that. You're really good at this. <laughs> so you know like, oh if i Thank were applying you. for jobs right now i'd be all over career <laughs> no, seriously <laughs> i'm not looking i know i was gonna say i'm glad that you're not looking <laughs> yeah you guys are all of a sudden gonna get lots of reach outs the minute you say that <laughs> oh my gosh nightmare <laughs> all right um next question I realized through COVID that despite being in my current field for 10 years, I want to change careers. I know I'm going to have to start a few rungs down the ladder, a few rungs uh, lower than she currently is, but how do I get a hiring manager to look at my application for those more junior positions without looking overqualified and out of left field? Yeah. I mean, one, I, I would challenge you with the assumption that you have to start more junior. Um, Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes you actually have a lot of transferable skills that you just need to highlight those uh, so that the focus is on what you have that is in common with the role. Um, if you're doing something completely different, uh, yes, maybe maybe you have to, maybe you want to start a little more junior, right? Maybe some people actually prefer that because they're like, I know I need the training of this. Um, so same thing. What I like to do with a resume when you are transfer or uh, yeah trying to transfer industries is I like to make the header that says relevant experience and then addition and then a second one that says additional experience. For the relevant experience, you can put all the stuff that you've done, whether it was your last job or maybe the job before that, that is relevant to the role. And then uh, so it doesn't have to be in chronological order or most resumes are in reverse chronological order. So your most recent job is up at the top, right? So you don't have to do that with this format I'm listing. Um, and that will allow the recruiter to see what you've done that is similar to what they're hiring for right away. Um, you always wanna put the most important information up at the top. The other thing is a cover letter. It's gonna be really, really important for this um, to kind of uh, connect the dots with, you know, I've been doing this, here's why I want to do that. So when I was going from an admin assistant to recruiter, obviously that's something that I had to do. Um, and the other thing I would say about with those transferable skills that you are doing is um, make sure to explain why it is you've chosen this career. So I remember in my interviews at Hulu, they were asking me a lot of like, why recruiting? How did you decide you wanted to be a recruiter? And, you know, I beat out applicants who had already been doing recruiting roles. And part of that was, um, I had this a great storyline of like, well, I've, I've actually spent the last nine months having informational interviews with recruiters and I've learned this and this and this. Also, when you, when you do want to transfer jobs, it's helpful because you can use the information from those informational interviews and throw some of that into your resume. So you'll know like, oh, um, candidate experience is really important for recruiters. As an admin assistant, I'm thinking about the experience of people all the time, but you, you wouldn't maybe normally connect those dots unless you were literally having a conversation with someone and they were saying how important that is. So find a way to show some sort of proof that you didn't just pick this career out of thin air, that you actually want it. And, and again, it's 
I know people are probably tired of me saying the storyline, but storytelling is very, very important. <laughs> um, especially when you maybe don't have an obvious line of connection to, to what you want to do next. Fantastic. you I love it. Thank you. Um, okay. Next question is loyalty quote unquote loyalty a thing anymore. If someone has a few jobs in a row of 12 to 18 months, does that start to raise red flags about loyalty or jumping ship? How long does someone need to stay? Yeah. Um, also known as job hopping. I mean, I think there was a time where that was like very alarming to people. I think especially during COVID right now, it's not going to be as nearly as alarming. And as long as you have a good storyline on why you've moved roles. So the other thing I really like on resumes is after you've listed your job title company, kind of in that header area, add a one to two sentence overview. So that would be like the storytelling piece. So let's say you switch jobs in a year, maybe um, you've got the first job you had and then the second job that you got a year later, maybe for the one to two sentence overview, you could say like, um, you know, trans or move to this role or like was reached out to about this role was, was an awesome opportunity. And I, and I always want to work in a tech space. So I took it, you know, so somehow you can kind of connect the dots on why you moved quickly. Um, I like that because again, I like the idea of giving the recruiter, Anything you think the recruiter might be like now and put you in a no pile, try to address it so that the answers are there for them. Um, I don't think job hopping or, or look for some companies, they're, they're really going to like that. They're going to like the fact that you stayed for a while and that you've got that longevity. Um, but just be prepared for them to ask you that question. If, if I was interviewing someone I, and I would probably ask them like, Hey, it looks like you've switched jobs every year. Like what, why is like if you come and work here are you only going to stay for a year and they might be really blunt about it so i think maybe that's the opportunity for you to say you know i've moved jobs every year because of this reason that reason that should be good and, and makes sense to the other person and then you can say something like but ultimately what i want is to grow within a company and i've researched the com this company and this role whereas before i've only researched the jobs or something right. like that love it yeah, I think it's so important, especially, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a lot more people having frank, transparent discussions around leaving companies because of toxic managers, especially yeah. if they're in underrepresented groups. And so, you know, they join a company, they're not being supported, they leave, then it looks bad on their resume. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and if there's a way to like come up with some terminology to politely say that without throwing your boss under the bus. You know what I mean? Like um, less opportunities or left for more opportunities, a bigger, a bigger challenge, or, you know, if you can find a way um, to not kind of like, I, I guess, like be negative about your employer, that's, that's always a good thing too. Yeah, for sure. Totally. Okay. Next question. How do you go about asking for the salary range of a position if it's not stated in the listing? Is that seen as too bold to ask directly during an initial interview? No. Um, and most of the time a recruiter will probably ask you in the initial phone screen, what are your salary expectations? If they don't, um, maybe not in the initial phone screen, but maybe if you get a little further down, um, I would, I would let, you know, maybe ask them, Hey, uh, do you, you know, what is the, once you kind of build that rapport and you've had a couple interviews and you know that, okay, they like you at least, then I think, and if they haven't brought it up already, then I think it's a good idea to say, hey, I'm, you know, one thing we haven't touched on, um, 
that's part of the logistics is what is the salary range for this position? I've done some research and I've come up with my own range, which I'm happy to also share with you. And um, that gives them the opportunity to either share what range the company's already come up with, because there are compensation analysts who do this all day and they will, they will literally tell the recruiter, here's your range, you know? Um, but there are other companies where if you throw out the first number in the range, um, there's uh, this, I guess, like phrase in um, salary negotiations called anchoring bias, where you anchor the conversation and whoever throws out the first number. So I'm kind of a fan if you get the opportunity to do that because, uh, but it should be well researched because if you throw out $100,000 and the range that they have in front of them is 60,000, 60 to 70,000, they're literally going to quickly go back to you and say, how did you come up with that number? Um, because there's probably even a part of them that is like, what the hell? <laughs> like you, like almost like annoyed, like did you pull that out of your ass? Or, and so just know that you can't, this anchoring bias doesn't like get you away from having to explain the number and also just make sure that when, you, if you do get the opportunity to be the first person throughout the number, that it's actually based in like reality that you can back up. And, and I, cause I've seen people do this sometimes and I'm just like, okay, I know you got this advice to ask for more, but this, this is, you're missing part two of that advice, which is like, <laughs> you don't always have to ask for more if they're giving you the, the market value of that range. Right. Um, also, if you are going to ask for more and you're going to throw out some crazy thing, you better be able to back it up with something other than like, oh, well, that's what I was making in my last job. Similar to how we're not going to pay you based on what you were making in your last job. You don't get like the rules go both ways. And I think that people have kind of lost the, the fact that this is supposed to be a two-way relationship versus sometimes they'll just do this crazy stuff with companies and it's like, well, whatever, it's not my money. It's like, well, then you're probably not going to get the job because they're going to have to, they're going to ask about it and the explanation better be good. <laughs> and there yeah, are so many sure. resources now that where people can actually do that. I mean, 10 years ago, you couldn't find out yeah. what companies were paying similar roles. Yeah, it was much ago, more mysterious. You, yeah, you took what you got and you were thankful for it. Now you should do research ahead of time when people ask, where do you do it? Obviously there's tons of online resources, but also if you're having those informational interviews, a good question to ask people in those informational interviews, especially when you're just trying to learn more about is ask them like, hey, what, what kind of salary range, if you don't mind sharing, uh, are you making? Because I want to move into this and I want to be realistic and you obviously have a lot of experience. So your range wouldn't be the range I would ask for, but can you share with me just so I can get some data points, yeah. you know? Cause I was thinking too, like the other side of it is what if you don't do your research, you throw out the number first, you anchor it. And it was like on the low end of their range. Yeah. And they're like, great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds and that great. happens too. That, that definitely happens. And then people are like, well, irritated at the employer. And it's like, okay, if, if someone was trying to buy your car or sell you a car and you threw out, like, it, it, I, I guess sometimes I'm like, look, I know you're irritated and you feel like personally offended by that, but you would probably do the same thing yeah. if you were able to get something for a lot lower and you'd be like, oh, this person's selling me this, selling this to me for only a hundred bucks and it's worth a thousand. Like, would you go, no, 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 that's way too low. Maybe some people would, but I think the majority of people would probably run with paying less, you know? 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, I heard, I forget who it was, but I did hear a woman speak years ago where she was saying how she was trying to support underrepresented groups within the workplace that she was working at. And so she had shared how she had someone come in for an interview. They threw out a number. It was ridiculously low. And so what she did was instead of being like, you're really <laughs> undercutting yourself, she said something like, why don't you take some time to think about this? Like, do your research, <clears throat> do your yeah. research, Yeah. <laughs> come back to me tomorrow and just confirm that that's the salary you want. So of course they like actually did the research yeah. back with a higher number. And I think that's a great way to sort of manage it. If it's truly like egregiously out of the range, I think that if it's within the range that the company has, it, but it's on the lower end, I think that's where it gets a little bit more of a gray area. Cause it's like, yeah. well, it's not out of the realm of right. get paid. So that's where it really does pay off literally to do the homework and the research into it. I completely agree. I, I, the other one I get is people will be like, Oh, I don't know. Like whatever you guys are willing to pay. And I will always respond back with like, so we have a range, but I think it would be super helpful and just like good experience in general for you to do some research and you can come back and, and, and partly you have to remember recruiters are advocates for the company, but they also, you know, they're also advocates for you. They want you yeah. to take the role and be happy here and be successful in it too. So um, again, we're talking about the fact that these are humans, not everybody's created equal. I do think there's more um, awareness around this today and especially for you know underrepresented groups uh, and, and women, we know there's a, a pay gap. And so hopefully more companies would be doing something like that where if it was significantly lower, they would just nudge in the right direction of like, you know, give that some more thought and then get it back to us, you know, because it is, it's a good lesson to learn too, is yeah. like, I'm not saying the lesson should be never accept the offer. Some people do put like, for example, at Hulu, the philosophy was we don't undercut you and then try to negotiate. We make you the best offer from day one. Right. And so some oh, companies, yeah. And like, I just, our CTO, he was like, I don't like this game. I don't want to do this back exactly. and forth. I don't have yeah. time for it. So he's like, make them the best offer with this, this, and this. And if it works for them, then great. And if it doesn't, then, then we're not the right fit. So like every, you just have to remember like every company and, and, and employer and philosophy is going to be different. And a lot of that comes from the top down too. So, um, all this to say that, like, do your research. It's, it's always, it's always valuable to start there. I love that. And I'm a big proponent of just being like really honest and transparent and not like that's the sticker price, really. That is what it costs. And it's really hard because you also, on the flip side, you want to have, you want to encourage people to negotiate and advocate for themselves too. So I love this next question because I would have no idea how to answer it. And you are a very smart person. So, um, <laughs> so someone asked, marijuana is legal in my state, but it seems like there's still a lot of confusion around this. How could someone address this for a new job with a drug screen if I'm using it legally, either recreationally or medis medicinally? Medicinally. medicinally. How, about, um, how about medicinally and not medicinally? <laughs> <laughs> that is a really good question. I've never been asked that before. Um, I, I don't know the answer to that, but what I would do is find an employment lawyer or a lawyer who studies employment law and buy an hour of their time to ask them that. If, if most of the jobs you're applying for, this is something that's coming up, then it's going to be worth it to, to ask somebody, hey, got a question. What do I do with this? Because legally, they'll know the right answer to, to for that. Um, I mean, the only other thing I 
would say, and this is like, I guess the, the cheaper answer to that is have some informational interviews uh, or even try to find recruiters that you can have informational interviews with. And if you're comfortable, like they're not companies you're going to want to work for on the off chance that that sets them off, you could ask them about that too. Love it. Thank you for giving your best legal advice. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a lawyer, so go hire yeah, a I definitely think it's a good question for a lawyer because I think it's complicated. That's like my favorite answer is complicated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right, last question from the community. What's the best way to address career gaps? I took some time off when having kids, but when I start to apply to go back, I'll have a six-year gap in my resume. How do I make sure I'm considered as a candidate with no recent experience? Yeah, so the, I guess, like, annoying answer is see if you can find some recent experience so that it doesn't go six years back right away. Um, it just, if you, if you are looking at a resume and the date starts at, you know, six years ago, um, you might just get disqualified for that simply. Um, so what I would do is try to find some recent experience, even if it's like within your, like, your kid's school or your community or something that maybe you aren't paid for, but it's a way to have uh, something under that relevant experience header. Um, the other thing I know with career gaps that is really, really important is networking. So network, 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 figure out the companies you want to work for and what it is that you want to do next. It's really hard for people to help you if you don't know what you want to do. And in fact, it can be a little irritating for people because they're like, cool, I just gave you like, 30 minutes of my time and we're chatting about this, but like, where are we going with this? So do the research ahead of time to know what companies you want to work for, um, what it is that you want to do next, um, fill any skills gaps, have the informational interviews with people who are in those roles so that you truly are coming to the table, like well prepared for closing this career gap for your actual resume. I'm less worried about that because you know, you have to do part one of all this. Part two would be hopefully somewhere in there, you've found something that's relevant that you can put on your resume. Um, if not, maybe you've got some ideas on what you can do that's relevant. Even if you're taking like online classes or doing projects or something like that, you could put those under a relevant experience. Um, and then I would say networking is really, really important. Um, it's, it, it, and also it's not a bad idea to talk to people who have, um, for your informational interviews, like there's two varieties. One is like the person who is doing the job that you want to do, but also talk to other people who have had career gaps and how have they managed to get back into the workplace. Um, my own mom had a gap of like 30 years and was able to get a job. Um, so the, she didn't get like her dream job. She would apply for stuff. She eventually became an admin assistant somewhere, didn't love it. And then um, through networking was able to get into property management, started at the bottom and has like worked her way up. So the point being is that, and like property management isn't an industry that she would have thought of before, but by letting people know like, hey, I'm doing this thing, you know, I, I, I don't love it, but I'd love to be doing something more. Um, so that helps too. And, and um, you, I mean, I'm only using that as an example. If you, if you had like her gap was so big, you don't have that big of a gap, but it's good to talk to people who have come back from gaps and see what strategies they've used too and have had success with. I love that too. And for people who are like, how do I network in this new COVID world? I will tell you there's 
so many groups, obviously ours is one of them, but there are so many groups that are doing virtual networking and yeah. online stuff and LinkedIn obviously is a great resource too. Um, so yeah, that's awesome advice. Thank you so much. Uh, I know our community will get a lot out of it. And now we have the fun rapid fire questions. All right. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> First, what is next for the career contessa? Oh man, that's well. In 2020, I feel like survival. No, um, uh, it's <laughs> um, not real. It's a real, real strategy. Um, no, next for our team. So our director of content just came back from maternity leave. So like the absolute next for us will be kind of getting um, some of our, our processes and workflows back together, and then. Um, I think for 2021, we're going to focus a lot on scale. So I don't know about any like new fancy, you know, items that will be on the site, but it's going to be, how do we, and this is kind of happens to a lot of businesses is once you've built a lot or you've got your products and services, how do you scale them so that they do more for you? Um, so that's going to be the big focus of 2021. It's not, not glamorous, but it's, it's really, really valuable for us. For yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, next question. What do you geek out about? Not job search, not career coaching, not... <laughs> not anything related to careers. Yes. Um, I'm big into interior design. I'm always rearranging Ooh. furniture or looking at design blogs and designers and I follow a lot of them on my own personal Instagram. So um, I don't know if it's just my age, you know, at 34, all you think about is like how to arrange furniture and HDTV or if it's quarantine, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's funny because I just moved into a house and it's like so much decorating and yeah. I'm a little overwhelmed Yes, because I thought I liked interior design too. And then I was like, I cannot choose a rug. I yeah. don't know how to do that. So. I completely agree. I, um, we had some, uh, something flooded in our house. And so we had to like redo some of our floors. And so I'm like back in my office, but I'm like rearranging and I'm having the same thing. I'm like, I don't know where to put anything. I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> so I just look at pictures all day long of home office setup. And it's different because I didn't really use my home office that mm -hmm. often before. And now obviously I'm using it a lot. So I'm thinking about it very differently. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. Same. Um, all right. Favorite way to practice self-care. Mm, I go for a walk every day. Most of the time it's in the morning, but I probably, I go for, I've got a, about a five mile loop, uh, that, oh, uh, halfway there, I get a, a reward myself with a coffee bean iced coffee. I know you guys don't know what that is on the East coast, but it's, Oh, it, I've been to coffee bean before. Oh yeah. I, I mean, look, everyone has an opinion, but I love coffee bean. They have the little ice in their iced coffees. Um, so that's my big thing is, uh, and I'm, I almost always am listening to either a podcast or a book on tape. Um, so it's sort of kills two birds with one stone. I get to walk and do something physical, which as you know, that's kind of the lifeline here in quarantine, but also I get a lot of books read that, you know, quote unquote mm -hmm. read that way. Um, and I love it. That's awesome. Um, that's actually literally something I'm trying to start as my daily practice. So I love I hearing swear that. by Very the walking too. Like, <laughs> all of these people who are like killing themselves on the Peloton, which I know there's somebody who's going to at me for that. Like oh, yeah. as a non Peloton, I just don't have a place to put one. Honestly, it's probably why I'm just envious that you all can do this. But like I have found walking to be also from like a health perspective for me, at least the best. And it's like, I'll, I'll keep it going. <laughs> so that's always important. 
I love that. And if you have a nice five mile loop, like, yes. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. that's the, the healthiest way to live. I feel like I got to start my day. I, cause everyone that I know is East coast hours. Yeah. So I end up starting my day so early, but I go I try to do an afternoon walk. Yeah. Yeah. I will. It, like before quarantine, I was into morning walks cause I had a commute and now I'm into afternoon walks more and more. Okay. I don't know. I really would like to get back to the morning situation though, because then it's just over and done with, you know? Yeah, me too. And also the morning is so calm and peaceful. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> we we have a question, but I actually want to go to the, the next two because they were related to what you were just saying. Can you tell us about your favorite books and podcasts? Yeah, so um, I'm reading The Vanishing Half right now, and it's Ooh, really, really good. I read that. I loved it. <laughs> I, I'm Okay, so I'm at the point where I'm like, some like some big thing is gonna drop pretty soon because they, they do this all this build up. So I've been reading that. Um, I lead. I also read a lot of books for take. Uh, uh, for I read a lot of books for work. So we have a monthly book club, and uh, we we read Bias last month, which was all about bias. Um, really? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shocker. Um, we read Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People about race. Oh, nice. That, yeah. that was really good too. Um, uh, how to be actively or how to be an anti-racist. We read that too. Um, so we, we've had this for a while, but obviously we kind of go back and forth between fiction, nonfiction. So I won't give you the whole list. That's, that's the reason. Oh, the confidence code is one of my favorite books. Mm -hmm. I think everyone should read that obviously power moves. Um, and then for, <laughs> obviously. yeah, obviously for podcasts, I kind of go back and forth between things that are about business. So I like dig a day, which is, um, a podcast about like media. I like the goop podcast. Cause it's stuff that I'm like, usually not thinking about. Um, and then I'll go to like murder mysteries also. So like my favorite murder, um, also a huge fan. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, it just depends on my, it's like, if I get too much business advice, then I start to feel anxious. So then I have to go back to like, you know, Dirty John kind of S podcast where it's more storytelling. And um, there was another one that um, I'll have to think of it and send it to you guys where, uh, and it was just like, it has nothing to do with real life, but it was like, that's sometimes what you need in a podcast. <laughs> Definitely. Love it. Oh, so many good recommendations. Thank yes. you so much, Lauren. We appreciate you taking the time. Um, where can people find you if they want to learn more, if they want to connect? Um, how can people get in touch? Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me on your show. And then uh, to stay in touch, we're at Career Contessa on every social media platform you can think of. Um, the website is careercontessa.com. Um, I'm at Lauren McGoodwin. And then if you want to learn more about the book, obviously you can go to careercontessa.com, but also um, powermovesbook.com is kind of the, the one-stop shop for all things book-related too. Wonderful. Thank you so much. That Thank was you. amazing. We continue to be fans of you. We're like, oh, how can we do more with this incredible <laughs> brain of yours? It's really <laughs> wonderful. Um, thank you so much. And Yeah, thank you. I, I'm sure we will talk soon. All right. Sounds good. Have a good one, guys. Bye. Thanks to all our listeners for spending some time geeking out with us. If you enjoyed listening, please rate and review us on iTunes. Every review helps. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next interview. And tell all your friends. New episodes drop every Tuesday. <laughs> Check us out at She Geeks Out on all the things. And in case you're wondering what those things are, they are Twitter, Insta, FB, otherwise known as Facebook, LinkedIn, and our website, of course. 
Bye, Rachel. Bye, Felicia. Bye.